Good morning, everyone. Or shall I say, I could also say, Bonjour. Or Kalimera. That's Greek. And if you really, really want, I can say Bokotov. That's Hebrew. Okay, I'm really happy to be here today. I remember last time I preached here. I don't know if it was here or there. I can't remember now, but I think it would be here. So I am going to read that same passage and link it with something, very little thing, that really is doing something in me. Every time I face trial, every time I face difficulties, every time I face, you know, life is becoming very hard, I think of that little thing, and that really kept me going. So to start with, we're going to read, I'm going to invite someone to come and read uh, 2 Kings, or 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 to verse 15. It's a long reading, then I'm going to read the Gospel of Mark to carry on. Please come. Naaman healed of leprosy. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So, Naaman left, taking with him 340 kilograms of silver and about 70 kilograms of gold and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man to have the man come to me, and I will know, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a message to him, to, saying, "Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed." But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. 
Anadabana and Fafar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would not you have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. Thank you, Thank you very much. And following that, I'm going to read Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verse 33 to 36. He took Peter, James and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, for that hour might pass away from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Then there is a full stop. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. I'm going to start this with uh, saying who I am. I'm Jules Compaore from Burkina Faso. The first time I was um, in this church was in 1997 wasn't here, it was at, um, near Sainsbury. And from that day, I always loved this church. And every time I come to the UK, I want to make sure, you know, I have a service here with you guys. I mean, so many people I don't know now, and so many of you may not know me, but this honestly is like, you know, I'm kind of feeling part of this church, you know, from uh, a very long time. When I look at my life and how sometimes... You know, I have to go to a certain length to do things. Like right now, I'm standing here. I've been away for four weeks now. And last, this morning, I was actually thinking, when am I going back home? And I figured out I'm going to go back home in the next six weeks. That is a long time. Next six weeks, I'm going to be away. Because next Sunday, I'm preaching in New York. Then the Sunday after, I'm in California. And then the Sunday after, I'm in Minnesota. And then I'm coming back to New York, and then I'm coming back to the UK, and then I have a conference in Luxembourg, and Belgium, and Germany, then I'll be flying back home. I mean, this sort of life, why? Why am I doing this? Why do I love so much my wife with my five children? And actually, I became, 40 days ago, a young granddad. Yeah, my, my little daughter, who's called Fifi, she's seven. And our first daughter, who just got the baby, said to Fifi, Fifi, do you know that you, ha- you are now an auntie? And Fifi said, no, I am not an auntie. Aunties are old. I am like a sister. So in Burkina, I, I would say to people, I am not a granddad. Granddads are old. I am a puppy. I like that. And 
I really feel God is calling me to do certain things which I like in a way, but which has also a price. Which has also a price. And um, reading the first passage, which is the passage I actually preached here last time, I want to kind of link that passage and this. So let's go back to that little girl. Because in this passage of two kings, those who are not here, we realize that we could actually draw so many preaching from that. But we, we can also focus on that little girl. That little girl who was not named. That little girl, no one knew really who she was. That little girl, we don't know her parents. We don't even know where she came from. And then she was taken captive. She wasn't an au pair. She didn't go to Israel. Uh, she didn't go to Syria to work for money. She was a slave. And if you imagine young Israelites or Israelite per se, they hate being in slavery. And that little girl was in slavery. She was suffering. And yet in the midst of her suffering, she still worshipped God. In the midst of her suffering, in the midst of all the difficult time, she still recognizes a God who is powerful, a God who can save, a God who can heal. And he is, she is even ready to recommend that God to someone who is likely to be her fiercest enemy. Because what Naaman did to that girl really was bad. I'm reflecting on that girl and reflecting not that my life has been like that because actually I like what I'm doing. I know preaching is not, is I've been preaching for 29 years and every time I'm just about to preach, my heart goes, dun, 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 dun. I'm so scared. And every service that I do, I, I participate and not preaching, the service is different. When I'm preaching, it's very, very difficult. But I like it. I know it's a challenge. I like it. Back home, we train young ministers. And right now in our Bible school, we have about over 300 um, young people from um, uh, a certificate level to a diploma level to a BA level to a master level. Every year, we will graduate about 100 young pastors to send to the ministry. And for something like that to happen... In a country like Burkina, some people will have to pay the price. Some people will have to go away, away from their family, away from their people. Sometimes in a good weather, sometimes in a weather like the UK. But I like it. Now, the second reading, actually, I got that message on the street in Croydon. One Sunday morning, I was asked to go and preach in a church. And no one was driving me. I had to get two or three buses to the church. And each bus drive was like almost an hour. So I had to leave very, very early. And that day, I stood in that bus stop waiting for bus number 154. It was raining. I had an umbrella. That was completely useless. It was windy. It was cold. And I stood there thinking, everyone, everywhere is quiet. Because people are still in bed. They're sleeping. 
and I'm standing out there going to preach, going to do God's work and the bus isn't coming. And I stand there suddenly I wanted to really be discouraged. I felt, what am I doing here? This is very hard. Lord, look, why? Why me? And then something was dropped into my heart. That passage that we read in Mark, thinking about suffering. If we today think that we suffer, we often do. But our suffering for God is also because someone did suffer. And our hard times for God or in God or on behalf of God happens because someone did that first. And when I think of that, there is absolutely nothing that I will not do. The passage we read, we talk about Jesus. He took Peter, James, and John, and the Bible said that he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. I cannot remember if I ever was distressed and troubled. Because when you read the Greek, it's quite powerful. It's like someone who is living in terror. Someone who is experiencing something highly, very difficult to describe. That was what Jesus was living in that particular time. Because he was human. Then he said on verse 34, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Wow. I never lived that. On one occasion, I was flying from Paris to Ouagadougou, and then we hit turbulences. Oh my goodness, I don't want to remember that. It was that day for that half an hour that I could say that my, my, I was over, my soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, but not even the same. Now we talk about Jesus. He said to the disciples, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass away from him. And the word Jesus used here is the first time in the Bible that this word is actually used. The word Abba, which is an Aramaic, uh, an Aramaic word for father, like biological father. Jesus never used that before. And if we imagine the, the, the scene, by the time we're talking here, Jesus would have had about 500 disciples. People who heard about him and who kind of have some relationship with him. The 500 disciples were not there. In the 500, we know about the 120 whom Jesus was kind of a bit close who could send them away to do some stuff. And they were there on the day of Pentecost. They were not there that day. Just in that circle, we could see the 70 disciples. Those Jesus actually gave authority to go and heal and cast out demons. They were not there. In that circle, we could see the 12 disciples. Those he has chosen to be with him who were apostles. They were not all there. In 
that 12th circle, there is the three disciples. And he took them. That's Peter, James, and John. Why did Jesus take only three? Because you know sometimes when you are in trouble, people who are considered to be your real, real friends can see your trouble without you being afraid. Jesus knew it was hard time. He knew it wasn't difficult. He knew it was really rough. Then he selected them three. At least these three can see my trouble. They can see my pain. But even them were not enough. He left them behind. He went further. He fell to the ground. And he said, Abba. Abba. Abba is his dad. Jesus was talking seriously here. It wasn't just Mark didn't record this like an, you know, just like a parable. Or, no, that is real stuff. Jesus, the son of God, he genuinely was praying, was seeing the horror of the cross, was seeing the price to pay for you, for me, was seeing the hardship he had to go through. He couldn't take it as human. He went to the floor and he said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Would you please take away this cup? And that full stop there for me is the most troublesome full stop in the entire Bible. Now let me give you some background a little bit. The Bible was not written like, it, like we read it. Most of what the Gospel of Mark was written in Greek and it was one big block of letters in capital letters. So it's later, a lot later, that the scholars pull the full stops and you know use the small characters to write it. Because Greek is a, a declension language, each word is sufficient. In English, you have to put words in certain order to make sense. You have to say, for instance, the child is eating the bread. If you don't put this in this order, it doesn't make sense. If you reverse, you put the bread in the, bread in the first place, it would be the bread is eating the child, it wouldn't make sense. Greek is not like that. In Greek, I can say, tapaidion estiei ton arton which is the child is eating the bread. I can also reverse and say ton arton It would be the same because the way the language works. 
And in here, the one who wrote this dared put a full stop in that. I'm going to read it again. Abba Father said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup away. Full stop. Imagine if the Bible was finishing there. Imagine if there is no more sentence to that. Imagine if that was it. Imagine if Jesus had just kept quiet for a minute, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, an hour, a week. I believe that when Jesus said that, there was something in heaven. The angels were absolutely disturbed. They started to look at each other. And the 24 elders, they were confused. And the four living creatures, they didn't know what to do. They were looking at the Father. They were looking at God who feels like a bit confused. What am I going to do? And the whole earth was absolutely silent. They were wondering what the father was going to say. How is he going to react? Well, you are the only solution for mankind. It is only you who could do it. If you don't want to do it, that's it. And everyone is looking. And God is like, if, if you could picture him sitting on his throne... You could, you could, you could, and if he's breathing, you could, you could feel that his heart rate is, is raising. His, his breath is kind of confused because he doesn't know what to do. The only hope of humanity, the only person who can actually go and suffer and save mankind is kind of wanting to back up. He's just about to let go. He's just about not to do it. Then Jesus said, not my will, but your will. And you could feel God doing, and rejoicing came back in heaven. When I thought of this passage, I remember standing on that bus stop. I reach my hand to my Bible and I start to read it. And I tell you what, I've never been the same since that day. Life is sometimes full of uncertainties. Life is sometimes full of sacrifices. Life is sometimes full of so many things. Most of all, if you want to please God, there will be so many things coming to you. Just before I came back, I went back in May, and I was supposed to come back immediately to present a paper in Oxford. Then my wife got sick. Then we took, actually, I landed on the Thursday, and on the Friday, I took her to the hospital. It wasn't very easy. Then she came out. Then I got a phone call, my brother, who was very, very ill. I went to see him, and I called my friend who was... Um, a specialist, and he said to me, well, 
Can you bring him over? And he looked at him and said, Jules, I'm really, really sorry, but there is not a lot we could do. And from the time I went home, 10 days after, my brother died. And, you know, for a whole week, I was part of the funeral and all this and all that and all that. And then that was really a shock to my wife and, and her health become to, to kind of go down. And I was really, really confused. And I'm like, shall I go to England? Shall I just leave that? Shall I leave that behind? And again, I thought of this. If Jesus did this, what wouldn't I do? If Jesus went to that length, how much longer wouldn't I go? And thinking of that little girl, I mean, we could, we could just see so many people in the Bible. I could have just looked at Paul, at Peter, and see how much they suffered, and see how much life was tough for them. And yet they went through, and yet they persevered. And I was reflecting on that girl. I also thought of one thing which is worth mentioning. We need to really Take care of our children in God's way. When I look at Britain and Europe and all that, the future of the church really in Europe is in the hands of our children. Because these guys, our kids need to know God more than we do. Because the, the, the pressure on them is going to be more like the pressure on us. And they need something tangible. They need something powerful. In Africa, we're kind of leaving that with Islam. One of my friends, Belem, who became a Christian in 1995, the year he was about to go to Mecca, he was the secretary of his mosque, and uh, he was the second imam. And then something went wrong in his life, and he got very sick, and then he came to church, we prayed for him, he got healed, and then he really started to follow God. He had so many troubles, this man had. And he tried to uh, put a church in his village, which is in the heart of the Muslim population in north of Burkina, and he failed. He tried everything hard. Then two years ago, something happened in that village. His younger brother, child, who's called Mokhtar, was involved in an accident, and then the child died. And his younger brother called him, who is in Waga, to tell, look, my, brother, my, my little kid was engaged in an accident, then he died. He's only about 12, 13 years old. And that really troubled Belem. And Belem, God said to Belem, look, this time, these guys are going to know who I am. And God said to Belem, tell him, your younger brother, to take the kid, put him in the house you built, and then you pray. Belem prayed for about an hour. And the whole community had gathered together. And they were digging the grave. And about one and a half hour later, Moktas dad, who is Belem's younger brother, came out of the room shouting, his reason, his reason, his reason. That boy came back to life. 
And the imam of that, that locality called Belem and said, look, your God really is powerful. We know you started a church there. We pushed that church down because we said you would never build a church in here. Now that place that you had on your own was little. Come and get this ground. Build your church. I sat in that church in May this year. And in that village, though the whole village is not converted, they know there is a God. They know there is a powerful God who is completely different. This generation is going to need something like that, something tangible, something which can prove that though we, we're suffering today, though we are kind of not sure of what things are going on, our next, the next generation will see God. And we know that what Jesus did in this passage, not my will, but let your will be done, is actually something that everyone can have salvation. So this morning, where are you at? Are you facing some hard times? Are you sitting there and things are not right? Are you wondering about God? Tell you what, Jesus did it. And he did it for you. Are we sitting there and not really wanting to be engaged in it? And again, when I think of that, it really gives me all the engagement I need. Because he did it for me. I'm going to go and do it for him. I'm going to go and do it for him. I'm only not doing it well. I'm not only doing it I'm only doing it not the way I want to do it, but I keep on doing it. And I believe that with his help, one day I will do it better. One day I will fully realize the power of not your will, not my will, but your will. When was the last time you actually said that? God, I don't want to do this. I don't feel like doing this. To be honest, I didn't feel like coming to church this morning. I even said that to God. When I woke up, like I said, when I'm preaching, I'm really nervous. You know, I woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I sat on my bed and I said, Lord, I don't even want to go to church. Honestly, Lord, I just want to sleep. I've been working 14 hours a day since, you know, since July. I want a break. I don't want to do this. But I'm doing it because God called me to. Not my will. But his will. Let his name be praised. Amen.